Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On. I'm your host, Max Chadwick. A very special episode of Preferred Walk-On today. As you can see, we're in the PFF studio right now. We're not doing an interview. This is reviewing the biggest games of week one, and we have a lot to talk about. As you can see, I'm wearing the college football shirt right now. Next week, we will have a co-host on, so fortunately, you won't be only seeing my face and hearing my voice, but it is going to be an electric uh, season of college football, and it was an electric Saturday of college football, and I don't think there was a single game that was more electric on Saturday than Colorado announcing itself to the world and taking down number 17 TCU by a score of 45 to 42. You know, there was an old saying back then by, I think, the English playwright John Haywoods said that Rome wasn't built in a day. He clearly has never met Deion Sanders and seen what Colorado can do because this program was quite literally rebuilt in one offseason. They were 1-11 last year, really needed a jolt of life, so they went out and hired Deion Sanders, who obviously one of the most famous athletes in, in history, and he really retooled this program. If you remember that meeting he had with the Buffalo, it was his first meeting there. Uh, usually when a coach is hired, he says, hey, listen, this is how we're going to do things here. I'm excited to coach you guys, blah, 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 all the coach speak. Dion came in, basically told those players, hey, I'm coming, I'm bringing my luggage with me, and it's Louie. Basically saying, you guys won at 11 last year, not good enough for the program we're trying to run. And yeah, he brought in a lot of luggage with him. 86 new players came in via the transfer portal, and they showed immediately that this is not a rebuilding program. This is a program that you need to keep an eye on immediately. And you can see they go from a 1-11 team last year to one that's ranked going into week two, which is absolutely ridiculous. So uh, only six returning players are on the two-deep depth chart for Colorado. One of them, Trevor Woods, had a pick. So clearly Deion Sanders said only the good players are sticking around here. Everyone else, I'm bringing in freshmen, I'm bringing in transfers. One of those transfers was his own son in Shador Sanders, who was fantastic and already has NFL evaluators excited about him as a potential NFL quarterback. He had 510 passing yards, an 86.9 passing grade, and three big-time throws. Shador Sanders was an absolute superstar, and usually a quarterback who throws for 510 yards against a top-20 team in the country, a team that played in the national championship game eight months ago, that usually is the biggest story from the game. That usually is the biggest star from the game. Not in this game, because Travis Hunter had one of the most ridiculous performances I think I've ever seen in college football. In fact, after the game, I compared him to Shohei Otani, who obviously is taking Major League Baseball by storm for his ability to be not only one of the best pitchers in baseball, but one of the best hitters in baseball. And usually, you focus on one or the other because it's, it's really hard to do one or the other, and Shohei Otani is doing both. That's what Travis Hunter basically did against TCU. He played both sides of the ball, wide receiver and cornerback. He played 144 snaps against TCU. Just for reference, at PFF, our snap minimum that we usually set for a week is 25. That's usually the starter's workload that you see in, in any given week. So 25 snaps uh, is usually what we set as the minimum uh, for a week. Travis Hunter played basically six times that. Six times that he played against TCU. Not only that, not only did he play 144 snaps against a top 20 team in America, he also did it in 100 degree heat 
During the broadcast, if you watch that game, they, they said multiple times it's 120 degrees field temperature right now, 130 degree field temperature right now. It was cooking in Fort Worth, Texas. So the fact that Travis Hunter played six times what you usually see a starter do in 100 degree weather, that is a feat in itself. He could have been cheeks in this game. He could have been terrible in this game. And I still would have come away and said, what Travis Hunter just did is unbelievable. Except he wasn't cheeks. Except he wasn't terrible. He was the best player on the field, both sides of the ball. Uh, at corner, so he played 80 snaps at corner. He had an 86.3 grade at corner. Three forced incompletions and an incredible red zone interception and there actually was a viral video that came out uh later on where uh someone was recording it tcu fans behind him were saying throw it at hunter throw it at hunter and they threw it at hunter and he came down with the interception you know reading the slant route comes off the slant route picks off the flat route for an amazing diving interception turns around to the tcu fans and said who said it who said it all the tcu fans are flipping him off it, it is incredible what travis hunter did at corner uh, and, you know, that alone, it was incredible what he did at corner. Then at receiver, he played 64 snaps at receiver. He had 11 catches for 119 yards, some highlight reel moments as well, and, and including a, a couple plays that, you know, 11 catches for 119 yards. That was second most on the team. That alone is really good. He had some highlight reel plays that didn't even count either. Uh, a couple of them were against Josh Newton, which if you don't know, Josh Newton, currently a top 25 prospect on PFF's 2024 NFL Draft Big Board, according to Trevor Sikama. Amazing cornerback. I think he's a top 10 corner in the nation. Travis Hunter cooked him on a few plays at receiver. One of them was a, a deep ball down the sideline. Shador placed it perfectly. Hunter simply dropped it, but he beat Newton uh, and, and cooked him on that rep. There's another rep, too, where, where Hunter uh, was wide open for a touchdown, too, and Shador missed him. I don't believe it was Josh Newton covering him on that play. There was another play, though, where uh, it was about a second and goal, I think, on the five-yard line. They threw a goal line fade to Travis Hunter, covered by Josh Newton. He goes up. He catches it. He bobbles it a little bit. Newton, by the way, is interfering him. They throw a pass interference on the play. Unfortunately for, for Hunter and for Colorado fans, Hunter's foot came down out of bounds before he secured it. But still, it's a highlight reel catch against a first-round corner. And in fact, after they reviewed the play and said it was incomplete because they initially called it a touchdown, Newton was celebrating. He was celebrating even though they called pass interference on him. That's how absurd Travis Hunter is, is that a first-round corner was happy on a play where he got called for pass interference because Travis Hunter is that good, and basically that's all you could do against him. So Travis Hunter, the fact that he played both sides of the ball, incredible. The fact that he dominated both sides of the ball is unlike anything I've ever seen before. He's, he's truly a unicorn. And even, the, one of the things I was most impressed by was after the game, they interviewed Travis Hunter, and he had the audacity to say that he wasn't tired and that he would go out there again if they let him. That's not how the human body works, Travis. That's not how the human body is supposed to work. This guy, I, I, I've never seen anything like Travis Hunter. And then after the game was over, too, he was dancing in the locker room. Like, dude, I'd be throwing up my guts if I just did that and dominated it like he did. I, I, it was an out-of-body experience, I feel like, watching Travis Hunter. And, you know, I said it before, Colorado now... You know, before the season started, I'm not going to pretend like I was one of the ones who believed in Colorado, but I also wasn't one of the ones who was saying they're going to be as bad as they were last year because it's, it's frankly difficult to be as bad as they were last year. Now, you got to recalibrate ex your expectations for this team. 
they might win seven, eight games now, which looking back to last year, a one in 11 team winning seven, eight games the next year is incredible. If they can do that, and this is going to be the most must-watch team every single week, and we'll talk about it in our preview episode uh, coming out later uh, because that is one of the biggest games of the week, the, the Week 2 matchup they got. But if they can keep up this level of play, and if Travis Hunter can keep up this level of play on both sides of the ball, he's your Heisman Trophy winner. There's nobody else. Uh, Caleb Williams is unbelievable. Michael Penix Jr. is great. Jordan Travis, who I picked to win the Heisman Trophy before the season, he's great. There are so many great quarterbacks right now, and... It's just, you, you don't see this. You don't see this. You don't see players dominate on both sides of the ball. You see this in Mighty Mites. You see this even in high school where you play your best players on both sides of the ball. But once you get to college football, you play one or the other. You know, there isn't, there isn't a scenario where you play both. And the fact that he played both in triple-digit temperatures and dominated on both sides against a good opponent, too. TCU, I, they lost a lot. They lost Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, Kendra Miller, Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, they lost a lot. This is still a top 20 team. You know, I don't think TCU is as good as they were last year, obviously, but this is still a top 20 team that Colorado beat. If Colorado can, you know, put up seven, eight wins and Travis Hunter plays on both sides of the ball and is even close to what he showed on Saturday on both sides of the ball, he's winning the Heisman Trophy. And there's, frankly, no other option for this. Um, and I know a lot of people laughed at him before the season when he posted a picture of himself and said Heisman loading. He was right. He was right. This is something that we've never seen before. And, and Deion even said, you know, the Heisman is chilling in his crib right now if he keeps this up. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, uh, great job by Colorado. Travis Hunter is the most must-watch player on the most must-watch team uh, in the sport right now. And, you know, great on Deion Sanders, man. What a great hire. You know, he's a CEO head coach. There are CEO head coaches in college football, not really X's and O's as much. And Deion's a great CEO. You know, he's going to convince players to come play for him. Why wouldn't you want to go play for the greatest quarterback of all time who also happens to be one of the greatest personalities of all time? He's a great CEO, but when you're a great CEO, you need to have great assistant coaches to handle the X's and O's, and he's got that. Sean Lewis, I thought the offensive coordinator, used to be the Kent State head coach, was phenomenal in this game against TCU. A lot of great play calls in that game. So, yeah, Colorado, team to watch right now. I can't wait to watch this team every single Saturday. I know my colleague Trevor Sickman put out a tweet of uh, them playing USC in, I think, uh, late September that is going to be an unbelievable game. That, that I can't wait to watch Caleb Williams, Travis Hunter, Shador Sanders. This, that's going to be an unbelievable game. But yeah, Colorado, man. I didn't think it would be an overnight fix, and Dion proved us wrong, really. And they're a team to watch right now. Go, again, I want to reemphasize, they were 1-11 last year, and now they just beat the number 17 team in the country, and now Colorado is ranked. And, you know, it's pretty impressive. The last two teams BTC were Georgia in the national championship game and now Colorado, who was 1-11 last year. Pretty insane. So, biggest story, I think, of the weekend was Colorado. Got to move on to another game, though. And that was number 8 Florida State pulling away in the second half against number 5 LSU, 45-24. to And, um, you know, I, I tweeted this out earlier, and I said, it's week one. But any of my takes that I had preseason that were proven right in week one, uh, those are those will remain true the whole season. Any of my takes that were proven wrong in week one, 
it's just week one. Like, can you relax? Well, one of the one of the takes that I had in week one that uh, I thought was that looked good, and, and thankfully it looked good because I've been Mister Sammy Seminole basically all off season was Florida State being an absolute house. They were number eight in the eight preseason AP poll. Now they're number four. Uh, I had Florida State at number four in my preseason poll, and I think now I would have them at number three. And I think there's a clear three teams in college football where you look at that roster top to bottom. And you struggle, you struggle to find the glaring weakness. Georgia is one of them, and I have number one. Michigan is another one. I have number two. Florida State is another one. I have my number three. There is really not a spot on this roster where I look at it and say, I don't know about that. You know, that could be their undoing. That could be the kryptonite for this team. There really isn't. You know, they really have, especially offensively, they have answers for whatever a defense wants to throw at him. They have Jordan Travis, who I mentioned before, I picked to win the Heisman Trophy before the season. I think he's a top three quarterback in the country. By the way, if you want to hear more about him, we have an interview with Jordan Travis that you can check out now uh, as well. He was a phenomenal interview, and he even said he doesn't care about the Heisman Trophy. He only wants to win a national championship. So awesome, awesome kid. Trey Benson, who another guy we interviewed too. Trey Benson and Johnny Wilson, uh, another interview you can check out. Trey Benson is the number one running back in the 2024 NFL Draft, according to Trevor Sycamore. Keon Coleman, big coming out party for him. Trevor, you know, kudos to Trevor, man. Trevor had this guy top 20 preseason. And after that LSU game, everyone else is like, okay, yeah, I see why. And this guy might be wide receiver two in the draft if he keeps this up behind Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, both first-round prospects, according to Trevor Sycamore. Jaheim Bell, in my opinion, is a top five tight end in the country. They got top 10 offensive line in the country, too. There is no answers. There are no answers for this offense. Because if you take away the passing game, Trey Benson can beat you on the ground. If you take away Trey Benson, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, uh, Jaheim Bell, Johnny Wilson, they're going to beat you through the air. There really are no answers for this team. And LSU, they struggled to do that. And you could see, and, and not only that, not only is the offense ridiculous, and Alex Atkins, by the way, Offensive coordinator for Florida State. He is a name to know. He is, I think, one of the best OCs in the country. He will be a head coach pretty soon. He had a great showing, I think, in this game. They really were sloppy in the first half. Travis had a couple terrible throws. One of them was intercepted by Deuce Chestnut, uh, fellow Syracuse. Great. And uh, the other one was nearly intercepted in his own territory. Two terrible throws. After that, though, they were lights out. They scored 31 unanswered points in the second half. Uh, it was unbelievable. So that's why I was really impressed. Not only is the offense fantastic, though, we didn't even mention their best NFL prospect. That's Jared Verse, the edge defender, uh, who had a good game. He had a, a close to a forced fumble. They, I think they called it incomplete later on, but he was phenomenal against Will Campbell, by the way, who I think is probably going to be the number one offensive tackle in the country next season and also the number one offensive tackle in the 2025 NFL draft. Verse was phenomenal. The defensive line is loaded with guys like Braden Fisk. Uh, Fentrell Cypress back there in the secondary. He's phenomenal as well. The defense is fantastic. It's not like this is a USC team where you can look at the offense and say, I don't know how to stop that offense, but you know we will be able to score on the defense. You're not going to be able to score on Florida State too much. That's the thing. They have a great secondary. they got a really good defensive line, and then they have an unstoppable offense. This is a team that's a legitimate national championship contender, and I'm happy that people are finally starting to see that right now. Um, they're clearly, in my opinion, there is clearly a top three team. I think there's a clear one, two, three, and then everyone else in college football. I think it's that clear and obvious that Florida State, Michigan, and Georgia are in the top three teams because they just don't have a weakness, and you can't beat them. Going to the LSU side of the ball now, 
this is something I wrote about in an article at PFF that you could check out. Um, the best player in LSU is Harold Perkins, who is a sophomore linebacker uh, slash edge defender. Emphasis on that, because I thought Harold Perkins was completely misused in this game. LSU game planned out their own best player in this game. Their own best player. Usually the opposing team tries to game plan out the best players. LSU did it to themselves because Harold Perkins, he earned a 38.9 grade in this game. If you look at that, you would say, oh, he played terribly. No, he didn't. He was just completely misused. The, the coaching staff did not did a very not good job of using him. Uh, he had 28, 28 coverage snaps, seven pass rushing snaps. Think about it like this. This is how I would compare it to. Imagine if the Dallas Cowboys just let Micah Parsons play in coverage on every passing down and rarely used him as a pass rusher. That's essentially what LSU did with Harold Perkins. He is one of the best pass rushers in college football. Uh, he was phenomenal last year. He had a 90 point, as a true freshman, by the way, 90.9 pass rushing grade and 18 quarterback knockdowns, which are sacks and hits. That led all power five linebackers. He is at his best when he is on the edge and allowed to pin his ears back and rush the passer. He had some ghost moves. He That Arkansas game, he had four sacks in that game. People were comparing this guy to Von Miller for some of the advanced pass rushing moves that he was showing. Harold Perkins needs to be able to see ball get ball. And in fact, in the post-game press conference, Brian Kelly, when asked about Harold Perkins, he said, quote, he's learning a new position. Last year, he was see ball get ball. Why not let him see ball get ball again? He was phenomenal in that aspect last season. And even on the set, he had seven, only seven pass rushing snaps. Even on those seven pass rushing snaps, he, he showed unbelievable pass rushing ability. He had one rep that actually, on a touchdown to Keon Coleman, uh, Trevor Sikama tweeted this out, so go follow at Tampa Bay Trey uh, to see it. He had a ghost move that he hit against the right tackle off of a Euro step. That's advanced, man. That's advanced for a 19, 20-year-old. And that's something that you don't even see in the NFL. This guy is a special pass rusher. Um, really, again, it's like the Micah Parsons effect where, you know, Micah Parsons at Penn State was used mostly as an off-ball linebacker. But when he was allowed to rush the passer, you're like, wait a minute, this is different. This is not what a linebacker looks like. Dallas Cowboys took him. They played him initially at off-ball linebacker. But again, when he was allowed to rush the passer, you noticed this was different. Finally, Dallas and Dan Quinn noticed that and said, you know what, let's just make this guy a full-time edge. And they unleashed one of the best pass rushers in the game of football. That's what LSU has to do, man. And truly, I mean, listen, they lost by 21 points, but really Florida State pulled away in the second half, so I think it was a lot closer than the 21 points would indicate. If Harold Perkins was allowed to rush the passer, they might have had a chance at winning this game. Because he would have been able to be much more of a factor, not earn a 38.9 PFF grade. He was lost in coverage a, a ton. He can't. He doesn't play in coverage. That's not what you want him to do. You want him to rush the passer. LSU did a... I, I was surprised. I was shocked. that I, I've heard rumblings before the season started that they were going to play him an off-ball linebacker, but I thought they're still going to let him rush the passer a lot. They, they played him in coverage four times the amount that he did as a pass rusher, which is just... It's malpractice, honestly. It's malpractice, especially when you have Mason Smith, who's a first-round defensive lineman, suspended for this game. 
especially when you lose one of your best pass rushers, you should have Harold Perkins playing mostly as a pass rusher to make up for it, and they just didn't. So, uh, yeah, great showing by Florida State. You know, they're a house. We knew that. Uh, LSU, I'm still believing in them. I actually, I have LSU still top 10 in my ranking. I think there's a big overreaction to them. I still think it's a very good team. Uh, they're number 14 now in the AP poll. I think it was a big overreaction. I still think LSU is really good. So um, they got to fix some things, though. They got to fix some things, and namely the first thing is not game planning out your own best player because that's basically what happened. Speaking of that, speaking of game planning out your best assets, let's move on to the Duke-Clemson game. Duke upsetting Clemson 28-7 of two touchdown underdogs in this game the Blue Devils were, which I thought was ridiculous. Um, and speaking of that, remember I said game planning out your, your best assets. That might have been what happened to, uh, to Clemson. In this one, because Dabo Sweeney, uh, before the game, said, quote, of Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator they paid a lot of money to, I think the highest paid assistant coach in the country now, who won the Broyles Award last year as a top assistant in the country. They said, he said, quote, about Riley, well, it's the Clemson offense. We've always collaborated as a staff. We hired Garrett to come in here and coordinate the Clemson offense. Not the Garrett Riley offense, the Clemson offense. Basically, to me, and I'm not pretending like I'm in the X's and O's meeting. I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what the, the game plan is and how much control Garrett Riley truly has. But off that quote, just, just purely off that quote, what that sounds like to me is come in here and fix the offense without changing anything. If you're Garrett Riley, how do you do that? How do you do that? He's being handcuffed. That sounded like he's being handcuffed. So that quote before the game, I saw that quote, and that set off some alarms in my head. And then if you, when you watch the game, it really looked like a Clemson offense. It looked like the Clemson offense had struggled at times last year. And and why Garrett Riley was brought in in the first place. So, it, you know, I think it really was an also sloppy play. You know, the Clemson offense was missing the explosive plays. Sloppy play also killed the Tigers in this game. It killed them, really. They had three times... Three separate times, they were inside the 10-yard line. They got zero points on all three of those times. One of them was a blocked field goal, and they had two fumbles inside the five-yard line. So you're talking about, you know, they went for a field goal, so you're talking about 17 points right there that could have been left on the board, if not 21 points that could have been left on the board, really. And they got zero of those 21 points. And look at the score, 28-7, those 21 points would have mattered. It would have tied the game, at least. 17 would have mattered as well. Made it a lot closer down the stretch as well. So, not good. The, the Clemson offense did not look very good. They, they were super sloppy. That was the biggest uh, part of the game I took away from this. And Kay Klubnick, you know, the guy who was hyped up so much coming out. Coming out of high school. Number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school. People were talking about him as the next great Clemson quarterback after Trevor Lawrence, after Deshaun Watson. He didn't look comfortable at all. And there were times last year where he didn't look comfortable either. He had a great ACC championship game against North Carolina, but that bowl game against Tennessee did not look very good. Did not look very good in this game against Duke either. He had a 54.4 PFF grade, zero big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays. It's not good. They got a lot to fix right now, man. They have a lot to fix right now. So, um, And the other big thing I want to talk about with this, and, I, and again, I don't. it's week one. I don't want to overreact too much to week one, but – 
at the same time, you know, you, you do take some things away. And I think, I do think people overreacted too much to Clemson in this one because they dropped Clemson from number nine to number 25 in the AP poll. I think that's ridiculous. I, I think 25 is far too low for them. And I know some people are arguing that it shouldn't be ranked at all. It's like, listen, some people were saying, you know, after what you saw on Saturday and, you know, how could you rank them at all? It's like, dude, they played a really good team and – you have to have preseason expectations because if not, then why even rank Georgia at number one or even rank Georgia at all? They beat an FCS team. Like, oh, what you saw on Saturday wasn't that impressive. Like, Colorado should be above Georgia then, right? That's not how this works. That's not how it works. You, you got to factor in your preseason expectations, especially this early on in the season too. So I had Clemson, I think, 17 in my rankings right behind Duke. Um, so I, I think let's settle down. You know, they're, they're going to be all right. They're Clemson, by the way. But at the same time, one thing that I'm scared of with this Clemson program, Dabo Sweeney needs to kind of get with the times right now, I think. He, I think he kind of hates where the game is going because he refuses, refuses to use one of the most valuable tools that is at college coaches' disposal right now, which is the transfer portal. Refuses to use it. He, he only wants to build his team through high school recruits, which... You, if you need quick fixes, and Clemson could use some quick fixes, if you need them, the transfer portal is there. You know, you, you get great players. There are great players every single year in the transfer portal. And by the way, this is a Clemson program. If, if Clemson offers you in the transfer portal, that's going to be one of your top schools you're looking at. This is Clemson. This is a school that won two national championships not that long ago. So they need to use the transfer portal more. I, I, Dabo needs to... Stop being so stubborn. Honestly, he's a great coach. Dabo Sweeney's a top five coach in the country, and I love him. But, man, they got to use the transfer portal. I, it's, it's insane how they're not using it. And, and what used to be wide receiver U, now they've struggled with wide receivers. You know, it's they need quick fixes. They can't just, you know, expect these true freshmen to live up to the hype. Sometimes you just need proven good players. Like, imagine if an NFL coach back in the, I think it was the 70s when the free agency was was adopted. Imagine if an NFL coach was totally disagreed with free agency and was like, we're not going to sign any free agents. We're just going to draft and just build our team through that. You need to sign free agents, man. You got to. That's basically what the transfer portal is. You, you got to, you know, put, plug in some holes on this roster. And as you saw in that Clemson offense, there are some holes on this roster. So he's got to use the transfer portal. Uh, he's also routinely sp spoken out against NIL, too. Uh, yeah, the quote he said were, you know, the only name, image, and likeness that we care about is God's name, image, and likeness. Um, it's just, man, the transfer portal, NIL, those are two of the most important parts of college football nowadays. It's an ever-changing game, man. You see next year what we're going to go through next year with all this realignment. It's an ever-changing game, and it's really adapt or die now. It's adapt or die, man, in this ever-changing game. So um, you have to do it. Dabo's been really stubborn. But uh, Speaking of Duke, I just want to touch on Duke really quickly, though. I didn't have him ranked in my preseason top 25. I, I regret that. We actually have a couple interviews with Duke players you can check out, too. Riley Leonard, the quarterback, who is now the hero uh, in Durham right now. Graham Barton, the offensive tackle, who could be a first-round pick as well. Both phenomenal interviews. Uh, Duke's a sneaky team, man. They're a sneaky team. I have number 16 now in my rankings. Um, they're really good. They, they went 5-18 and 18 in 2020 and 2021 combined. And then really with the same roster, Mike Elko was hired, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator. They went 9-4 and four last year in his first year as head coach, as a head coach, not even as Duke's head coach, as a head coach. He went 9-4. and four. 
And then as an encore, they beat number nine Clemson with most of the roster uh, returning. So Mike Elko, keep an eye on that name, man, because if some big jobs open up this season, that could be that should be at the top of the wish list. Honestly, is Mike Elko? Um, he's a rising superstar at head coach. And speaking of Riley Leonard, I mean he was really good. You know, he had some moments where he missed some throws, but he had that unbelievable touchdown run. Uh, a lot of people are saying he could be a first-round quarter, quarterback, and I, I think he could be as well. So, Blue Devils, I think, are a top uh, 20 team right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, Clemson far too low in the rankings right now. Don't don't write them off just yet. Uh, they're probably going to figure it out. They always do. I mean, there's only been like one ACC championship in the last eight or nine years that Clemson's not won. Don't think it'll happen this year, obviously, with the Florida State Seminoles. Speaking of, they got to fix it fast because they got Florida State in three weeks as well. So it's going to be tough. going to be tough for Clemson. They got to figure it out, but I, I, they have some talent on that team, definitely. Uh, the last game I want to talk about uh, in this kind of review is Utah beating Florida. 24 to 11, number 14, Utah taking down Florida. I will admit this game, the Duke game and the Colorado game, I got wrong. <laughs> I got all three of those winners wrong. And really is because Utah was hurting, man, hurting. Cam Rising, the star quarterback, he's out with it for this game. Hopefully be back for next week uh, against Baylor. Um, with a torn ACL that he suffered in the Rose Bowl. Brant Keithy, suffering from, uh, recovering from a torn ACL himself. He's the best offensive player, in my opinion. He also was out for this game. Eight starters total were out for this game, including on defense. You have uh, one of your star players and Kareni Reed, linebacker, uh, some star defensive linemen as well, not playing in this game. Eight starters weren't playing in this game. And they still beat down Florida. So what does that say? The biggest star of this game was... I don't want to sound biased again, but a guy that we interviewed, the biggest star of this game was Kyle Whittingham, the Utah head coach. Utah outcoached Florida. That's as simple as that. That is, it's not a talent issue. In fact, you can make the argument that Florida had a more talented team with all the injuries that Utah was dealing with. It wasn't a talent issue. It was a coaching thing. Utah outcoached Florida. I don't think I've ever seen a game where coaching, the coaching chess match mattered more than this one. They simply outcoached Florida. Um, really, like I said, eight starters out. Uh, and what I loved, Andy Ludwig, who I love, Notre Dame tried to poach him as the offensive coordinator. He's Utah's offensive coordinator. He's, I think, a top three offensive coordinator in the country. What I loved is that with Cam rising out, with Brent, with Brent Keithy out, you think they're going to rely on the run game, right? First play of the game for Utah was a 70-yard bomb from a backup quarterback in Bryson Barnes to Money Parks. That is a statement from Andy Ludwig. And Florida was pretty much caught napping on that play because they're obviously going to play the run because they're thinking backup quarterback, your best weapon out, you're going to, in a good run game as well too, you're going to rely on the run game. They didn't do it. 70-yard bomb, first play, 7-0 Utah, quick. So that I, I love that. That to me was a statement from Andy Ludwig. And then why I'm saying the coaching difference was was that big was because on the other side of the ball, Florida, incredibly sloppy, incredibly sloppy. Nine penalties in this game. Most of them were pre-snap penalties as well. One of them, one of them. This is this I think was the biggest microcosm of Florida, the the game for Florida. One of them, fourth and three for Utah. They're punting the ball early in the game. Punting the ball, fourth and three. They punt the ball to Florida, fair catch or, or caught and returned, whatever. 
Penalty, flag goes up in the air. Penalty on Florida because they had two number threes on the field. Two players who wore the number three were both on the field at the same time, which is illegal. That penalty gives Utah a first down, and they proceed to score a touchdown on that drive. And again, 13-point game, that matters a lot. They got a penalty because they had two players on the same field with the same number on. That's a coaching issue. That's an issue. You should know, hey, you know, these two guys have the number threes on. They obviously can't be on the field together. And they, they were on the field together. So um, another one, uh, this might have been a player issue too, but uh, one of them, Florida, fielded a punt inside their own five-yard line and was tackled quickly there. Like that could be a, a coaching issue as well. You know, not he doesn't have the wherewithal to know to let that roll into the end zone for a touchback. Um, here's another one that was crazy. Uh, Utah, field goal attempt. I saw this on Twitter. And Florida had eight defenders on the field. Eight. You're allowed to have 11, by the way, if you don't know. Eight defenders on the field for the field goal attempt. Coaching issue, man. I mean, it's really, and those, you know, now I'm looking back at it, the fielding a punt inside the five-yard line, the two number threes on the field, the eight defenders on the field goal for the field goal attempt. <laughs> I mean, Billy Napier's got to talk to the special teams coordinator, man. There's there's something going on right now because that that is, that's not good. So um, another thing, the Florida offensively too, I thought Graham Merch was fine. By the way, I think, you know, people need to settle down with him. Um the only game, so their, their bread and butter of this offense really is Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, Travis Etienne's little brother, uh, who, by the way, sent out a quote-unquote joke tweet saying that he should transfer out of Florida. Um, but the bread and butter of this offense is those two players, those two running backs. This They're going to be a run-heavy team. Uh, not in this game, though, man. They only had 10 combined carries in this game. You got to give more than that, man. You got you to give your two best players on offense more than that. Ten combined carries for those two running backs. I mean, I, listen, I know you have to throw the ball down the stretch when you're down by 13, but really they, they should have been really going at those two a lot. So, like I said, I can't remember a coaching difference that this was this drastic. You know, on, on one side, Utah, unbelievable job by Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig to weather the storm of eight starters out, and they looked just as good as if they were in. Other side of the ball, Florida just – Stupid mistakes, stupid, stupid mistakes that really cost them a chance to even be in this game. So, um, yeah, massive coaching difference. Hats off to Kyle Whittingham. He was a star of this game. Um, and, man, when Utah finally gets all these players back, you better watch out, man. You better watch out. Because I think Florida is a better team than people give them credit for. Uh, we'll see how this, they have a tough schedule, though. So this might be a losing team anyways. But they're better. Than, they have some talent on this roster. And Utah just outcoached them. If you get all the best players back – Utah, people tend to forget, when talking about the Pac-12 Conference, we're talking about Caleb Williams in USC, Bo Nix in Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. Washington, now Shador Sanders um, in Colorado, uh, Oregon State in DJ Uyunglele. Utah's won the last two conference championships. We tend to forget that. This school, man, as well-coached as they are, they have one of the best coaching staffs in the country. No matter who's on the field, they're a threat to win every single time. So... Watch out for Utah. I have them now as a top 10 team in the country because I was that impressed with, with how they weathered the storm against a pretty decent opponent in Florida. So, yeah, great win by Utah. Great coaching by Utah as well. But that's what we got for the uh, week one review. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Many more interviews and content like this to come. We've got a week two preview coming out pretty soon as well. So make sure you uh, you check, you you know, stay subscribed for that. But for Bruce or Eli, Bruce or Tyler, I'm Max Shadwick. See you guys tomorrow.